morning, church. I don't want a response, it's fine. Um, This reading is taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amber. Let's pray as we look at that passage together this morning. Lord, we love to spend time with you. And we love to learn more about you. So, Lord, as we dwell in the gospel today, this story, this encounter that Levi had with you, would you come and speak to our hearts and move among us by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we're kicking off a brand new series today, which um, we have chosen to call Eating with Jesus. Eating with Jesus. And we're going to be looking over the next five weeks or so at some extraordinary encounters from the Gospels. Life-changing moments for people, normal people like you and me, as they get to sit down, hang out, and break bread with Jesus, the Son of God. So uh, I hope you'll be with us um, for those sessions. But today, I guess the theme is one of friendship. The theme of, of any meal together, eating together, is friendship, isn't it? I mean, how would you define having a friend? What a friend means to you? Is it just having a friend on Facebook? Anyone else got some Facebook friends? Rather too many. Are you like, who are you? Never met you before. That sort of thing. There's that level of friendship, isn't there? They're a Facebook friend. Or maybe you have the type of friend that you say hey to at a party. You know, see them in the pub or whatever. And you're like, all right, mate. I always define it as like mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you call them mate, as someone said to Kirsty, no, they're a mate. They're not a friend. <laughs> I'm happy to say hello to them in the pub. But we're not going to spend much time together. Sounds awful now if you now experience that from me in a pub. And you're like, he calls me mate. Okay, anyway, I've shown my hand a bit there. Lord have mercy. Um, Maybe you have people you go for a drink with after work. Maybe a workmate, a work friend, a colleague. And going for a drink is the next level. But wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree that friendship, if if someone's a true friend, it might mean that from time to time, You share a meal together. You eat together, right? And Jesus came, and uh, at the end of his ministry, he called his disciples friends. He said, I I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And what a thought that is. Mind-blowing, as hopefully we'll see today. It's something so normal to eat with someone else. And yet it is so special. But I wonder if sometimes we've taken God for granted. We've heard the gospel. We've heard the good news so much, so many times. If, if you're familiar with this, perhaps you're brand new to this. Perhaps you're hearing this for the first time. In which case, welcome. 
But for others who perhaps you've been a Christian 5, 10, 20 years, your whole life, whatever it might be, it can be easy to take that friendship, that offer of friendship with God for granted, can't it? To take that freedom we have to worship him, that freedom to come into his presence for granted. We sometimes forget who we're having friendship with, that it's God and he's holy and he's a consuming fire. I just want to bring out a a few verses. There's a scripture in Exodus 19, 16 to 25. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. The Lord has given him the law. We're just going to see a picture of what God is truly like and what our response might be, what the response of the Israelites was like. This is from verse 16. No, it's not. That's verse 1 currently. Sorry, this is a challenge. I just want to cover for the boys at the back. It's a challenge which they're going to meet right now. Well done, excellent. Well done, gents. Uh, This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much. Is that what we need? Uh, No, that's not. It's 19, not 16, chapter 19. I knew this could go as it's currently going. Chapter 19. Shall I paint the picture? It's the Lord coming down on the top of Mount Sinai. Do you know that story? He comes down in cloud and he comes down in fire on the morning. Perfect, guys. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That's that's the response we might have. That people of old have always had when they think of God. He's one to be feared. He's one whose word we should tremble at. Verse 17, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai Sinai, and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Do you notice that, friends? That's the God we're dealing with. That's who God is. This is him beginning to form a people, call a people to himself on the way to friendship, friendship that we can now have through Jesus Christ. And yet because of who he is, because of his holiness, there's a warning of do not let the people push through or they will perish. Long story short, to to save the lads having to jump about a bit, the system is awkward back there. God calls Moses and 70 elders, including Aaron, he calls them up the mountain to himself. And they go and they share a meal before the Lord. It's an extraordinary scripture. I encourage you to look at it in Exodus chapter 24. It's one of the very few places in the Old Testament where God shares a meal with his people. But it's definitely one where they are slightly nervously eating their meal worrying that God might break out against them because of their sin at any moment, but he doesn't. He's gracious. Friends, to set the context, this is who our God is. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And he starts causing a bit of a stir 
and many begin to wonder, is he the Messiah? The Jewish understanding of the Messiah, the coming king, the promised one of old, through all the prophets, was that he would be a king. He'd be a king in the line of David. He'd establish King David's throne in Jerusalem once again. He'd deliver his people from all their enemies. He'd establish peace in the, in the land. Not only that, he'd, he'd establish peace across the face of the whole earth. And he'd usher in an eternal kingdom. But was this Messiah to be divine? It's up for grabs a bit. There's lots of debate about it. Yes, he was going to be supernatural. They knew that. He'd do miracles. He'd open the eyes of the blind. He'd deliver people from evil. But was he truly divine? Not so sure. We now know because of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel that we have, the New Testament, that in the coming of Christ, in the coming of King Jesus, nothing and no one less than the second person of the Trinity has drawn near. Either way, Jesus comes on the scene 2,000 years ago, and he starts doing Messiah-type stuff, doesn't he? We're in Luke's gospel. If you can go back to Luke, guys, chapter 5 from verse 27. He starts doing healings, the beginning of Luke. He starts delivering people from evil spirits. He even claims to fulfill prophecy, speaking in the synagogue, saying, Isaiah 61, that's me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So he's being very Messiah-ish. And verse 27 starts by saying, after this. Well, after what? The story right before this is that Jesus is leaving the house that has been overwhelmed with people coming to hear his teaching. A house that has had the roof knocked through as friends of a paralytic man come and lower him down before Jesus. After this, talks about leaving that house, having healed this paralytic man. Not only that, having said, your sins are forgiven. He even claims to have the authority to forgive sins. Which means, in other words, making people right with God. So there's a bit of buzz about Jesus, okay? Just setting the context for our series. There's a bit of buzz. There's a bit of chat. Could this guy be the Messiah? And he's begun to build a team. He's begun to choose his disciples. Wow. Imagine that. The choosing of the 12. And you think with that choice, you think that he would go for the religious heavy hitters, don't you? You think he'd go for the holy ones. The Pharisees would have been fancying their chances, right? The teachers of the law. But the verse goes on. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. What does Jesus do? Does he say, be gone, how dare you? You've come too close. Get away from me. No. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi, who is also referred to in this account in other Gospels as Matthew, who went on to become the author of the Gospel of Matthew. He is a Jewish man. And if you know your Bible story, Bible context, you will know that tax collectors, they were hated because here was a Jew who was in cahoots, in partnership with the Roman authorities, the oppressor of the land at that time, the occupier of Egypt. 
They were seen as traitors to their own people, taking money off their own people. Yes, to give to the Romans, but also often to feather their own nest. They were seen as sinners. They were outcasts. They were hated. How likely do you think it was in Levi's head that he was about to be picked by Jesus? Thinking, preparing the sermon, took me back to sort of the playground. Do you remember those playground games, the pick-up game of football, basketball, you know, tag? You know, when you had to pick teams? Horrible moment, wasn't it? Just thinking... Well, what does this guy think of me then? You know, how does he rate me? And like, I'll take you, 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 you. And then there's always someone left. Levi, he, he wouldn't have fancied his chances. But Jesus sees him sitting there at his tax booth. I was very struck by the fact that reading this, Levi was sitting that Luke has chosen to note and record for all time in his gospel that Levi was sitting. Why? Because in the Bible, to be sitting, to be sat down, often speaks of spiritual passivity. Think of it naturally. Sitting speaks of lacking motion, lacking energy, vision, being trapped even, being weighed down. And the context here is, I don't think we're reading too much into it, to think that perhaps Levi was weighed down by a sense of his own sin. He knows the man he wants to be. He knows that he's called to be a son of Abraham, but he knows how far he's fallen. And he knows how unlikely it is that he will find a different life. Perhaps, friends, you know that feeling here this morning. And yet here is Jesus, whom some were saying could be the Messiah, leaving that house, passing by, and he sees Levi sitting there, and he simply says to him, follow me, follow me, get up, stand up, start walking, start moving. Move from passivity in your life, Levi. Move from passivity in your sin to activity in following me and finding life. Because, friends, you can be sure of this. Jesus never leaves us how he finds us. Can I get an amen from anyone this morning? Amen, church. Jesus never leaves us how he finds us. He always calls us to get up, to move on, to follow, and keep following. I just wonder today if, if Jesus might be saying that to some people here this morning. Yes, you're here. Thank you for coming. We love having you. Yes, you might even regularly come to church, but if you're honest, you know that you for too long, have been spiritually passive. You're not where you should be. You're not where Jesus would have you be. You're sitting, spiritually speaking. You're not going anywhere. Perhaps you're weighed down by your own guilt, shame, anxiety, bitterness, sin. 
You, like Levi, you wish you were in a different place spiritually, but you just don't know how to get there. My friends, I've got good news this morning. Because Jesus is passing by. And he's looking at you. And he's saying to each one of us, follow me. And Levi heard that call. We simply read in verse 28. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. It means leaving everything and following Jesus. And Levi clearly does so joyfully, doesn't he? Because verse 29, what we go on to see is, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Have you been to a banquet recently? Anyone been to a banquet? Anyone at a banquet last night? I was that close. I was about three minutes away from hosting an impromptu banquet in my house after the rugby. Um, But then it was stolen from us. Bless you, South Africans. We love you. You're welcome. But banquets, they don't often happen, do they? Because, well, they happen to be quite lavish and expensive. And they involve food and drink and organization. But in Levi laying this on, we see an overflow of joy. Why did he do it? Why did Levi invite such a a large crowd of tax collectors and others to his home? Friends, in a word, and it's a very Christian word, but I'll explain it. In a word, grace. Grace. Levi had experienced grace. What does grace mean? In a nutshell, it means getting what we don't deserve. Getting a second chance. Getting life and fellowship and friendship with God. That's what grace is. And here was Levi, a tax collector, being chosen by the Messiah, the Son of God. This banquet that Levi goes on to host is an expression of gratitude. If you're taking notes, this is, this is the soundbite. Gratitude for grace. Gratitude for grace. Levi has been amazed by Jesus. His life in this short space of time has already been transformed. And he wants other people to come and experience Jesus too. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the right response for Jesus picking him? Isn't that the right response when we have good news, when something comes our way that we want to share with others, don't we invite others to come and share in it? It overflows. It's gratitude for grace, this banquet, for Jesus picking him. Not just picking him to be one of 100 people or 150, our sort of numbers here at St. Peter's. No, this is being picked to be one of the 12. 12. That's the totality. That's the number that Jesus picks to be his disciples, to be his apostles. Here is Levi, a tax collector, being chosen to be on the inside. Isn't that grace? Goodness me. So he throws a banquet to show his gratitude for grace. 
a banquet for his friends to come and hear what's happened in his life. To come and meet this guy, Jesus. He's amazing. Might just be the Messiah. Friends, that was Levi's response. Let me ask you, what's yours? What are you doing to demonstrate your gratitude for grace? How are you helping bring others to meet Jesus? Which isn't just the calling of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, but it's the calling of every disciple. This is why, for myself, an easy way to, to do it again and again is I get involved in running Alpha, an Alpha course here at the church, reaching out, inviting any who'd come, welcoming your friends, your guests you've invited to come and hear about, learn about Jesus, to hear a talk explaining who he is and have the chance to discuss that over coffee. You can be part of that too. Or perhaps... You could just invite a friend to church. You could share your testimony with someone over coffee. Or if you've just got a lot on your plate, you could just give to church. Help us to enable the mission that we're called to here at St. Peter's. Friends, what are we doing to show our gratitude for grace, for all that Jesus has done for us? Because as we see in this story, we're, we're either people who do that, who respond joyfully, or we're people who find it strange when others do. What do I mean by that? Well, it strikes me from this story that other than Jesus, he's there, but that there are only two groups of people here in this account. There are tax collectors and sinners, and then there are Pharisees and teachers of the law. And in each of their responses, we see that in a nutshell, there are people who know that they need grace, and there are people who think that they don't. There are people who think they're on the inside with God, whom it turns out are actually on the outside. And then there are people who felt on the outside all their lives, who suddenly find themselves on the inside. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. No, they didn't come to Jesus. They went back door to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, far from seeing Jesus for who he is, the Messiah bringing the grace and welcome of God to bring friendship with God, the Pharisees display their own self-righteous belief that they don't need that grace or welcome at all, that they're fine as they are. And if anything, they'll be the ones to pass judgment on Jesus rather than recognize that he is Lord and judge of all. And so they ask his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then come some of the most famous words in all of scripture. Jesus answered them. I love that Jesus intervened. He, he knew what was going on. He heard their question. 
Why did he intervene? Because only he could answer it. The disciples didn't know. What would they say? No idea. (laughs) We're as amazed as you. And I am a sinner, by the way, a Levite. And I'm a tax collector. So (laughs) they didn't have an answer. So Jesus jumps in and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, friends, the Pharisees, as we'll see in other stories we look at, the Pharisees, they think they're fine. They think they're spiritually healthy. They think they're righteous. But they're too proud to realize, as St. Paul did, who was himself a Pharisee. As St. Paul put it in Romans 3.23, they failed to realize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including them. We read in this account that the Pharisees saw this banquet going on from a distance. They chose not to join in because they thought that to mix with sinners was to become polluted by their sin, to become infected, to be made unclean. And so they misunderstood the heart of God, whose nature is always to draw near, to redeem, to forgive, to make whole. But they couldn't know this because they didn't know Jesus. And so instead they criticized him, not knowing that Jesus, this man, this Messiah before them, was the only doctor in history who could touch the sick and instead of becoming sick himself, could make that person well. This story speaks of the glorious exchange, the reformers called it, the glorious exchange of the gospel. His riches for our poverty. His health for our sickness. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. His life for our death. This is what Jesus brings us, friends. No matter our past, no matter what we've done, because we can all repent and believe the good news. We can all have a fresh start. Because as the saying goes, every saint has a past, but every sinner can have a future. Friends, I don't know if Levi grasped all of this in that moment before throwing this banquet but I'm pretty sure he grasps some of it. And the most beautiful thing is, Jesus is still doing that stuff today. He's still walking around because he's risen, he's alive. He's still offering grace. He's still eating with sinners like you and me. And still inviting each of us to come and follow him. And when we say yes, everything changes. Let's just be still for a moment. As we respond, I'm going to welcome back Joe for our final song. But we're just going to 
invite the Spirit of God to meet with us now, to move in our hearts.